0: Well, welcome back to our Power Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Trey Hinkle, the lead pastor here at Powell Christian Church. Uh, we meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 in our worship center and 11.30. We have a traditional service out in our historic chapel. And uh, it's just good that you are tuning in. Uh, today, we're talking about uh, Matthew chapter 6, the first 18 verses of Uh, We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at uh, God's upside-down kingdom, and today uh, the whole idea is, is why are you doing the good things that you do? For what purpose do you behave yourself, for example? Uh, Is it for the applause of man or for the applause of heaven? And that's really what we want to talk about today. You know, most of the people at Chicago Children's Memorial Hospital did not know this lady's name. They just knew her as the sweet old lady in the red suit who wanted to make sure that every sick child had a teddy bear. So she kept bringing those stuffed animals, purchased with her own money to give to the sick children, and that's why she was simply called the Teddy Bear Lady. Her name was Gladys Holm, a retired secretary for an insurance company who lived alone in a tiny apartment. It wasn't that she couldn't afford anything better or bigger Although nobody except for her attorney and her stockbroker knew that she was actually very, very wealthy. When Gladys died at age 86, she had a portfolio worth over $18 million. Gladys had never married. She didn't have any kids, no heirs. In her will, she simply directed that the bulk of her estate would be given to the Children's Memorial Hospital there in Chicago for medical research and for new methods of treating sick and disabled kiddos. The hospital authorities were shocked, absolutely shocked by the news. Nobody had the slightest idea that this woman who had delivered teddy bears on a regular basis was actually very, very wealthy. But as they began to piece together more of her life story, they, they discovered something very interesting, because they learned that those teddy bears that she was bringing in, those were really just a ruse. She gave away the teddy bears so that she might learn more about the financial resources of the families of the children in the hospital. And if she ever learned that a set of parents did not have insurance or they didn't have enough to cover the expenses for the care of their kiddos, she very quietly took care of the bills. Great story, huh? Great story. It makes me then ask the question, why do I do good? The good that I do, is it, is it for the applause of man or for the applause of heaven? Do I do good because it's the right thing to do? Do I do good because I want to look good? Do I do good in order to get some kind of reward? Now, with that last one, I know that there's a lot of people out there in the Christian world that they think that the idea of reward is not a Christian thing at all. They don't think that reward should come into play at all. It should have no place in in the Christian's uh, behavior. Um, They teach that we ought to seek to be good for goodness sake because virtue... They, th- they say, is its own reward. The, the problem, though, with that is this, that the Bible speaks a lot about reward. Jesus will tell us in this passage that there is reward. Paul would speak of rewards as he talked about the victor's crown. John would talk about a heavenly reward. We're, we're told that if we stand up under pres- persecution, we're going to be rewarded. We're told if we give a cup of cold water to somebody in Jesus' name. We will be rewarded. We're told that if we love our enemies, we will be rewarded. So I don't get it how some people just shun this idea of reward. Well, no, we, we should just be good just to be good. But God says, no, I will reward those who are living by the holiness and the righteousness that I gave to them. You know, people might say, well, but I don't need a reward. I just do things. And I'd say, well, yes, you do things. But why do you do things and well, then they say, well, because it's a blessing to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, then I would say, then, wait a second. Isn't that, that understanding <laughs> that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Isn't that feeling of, of knowing that you are a blessing, isn't that a reward? Of course it is. So the idea of reward is not bad at all. The issue isn't whether you're doing things for applause. It's, it's for whose applause you are doing things. In this life. Now we uh, we want to go to Matthew chapter uh, six, and it's a, it's going to be eighteen verses, and so it's a little bit long of passage. But if you have your Bible there as you're listening to to me, uh, then go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter six. If not, I'll just read it to you, and you can uh, you, you'll be reminded of this very famous portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins in chapter six, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, there's a lot of repetition there, isn't there? There's a lot of things that Jesus says uh, that, uh, that get brought up two or three different times here. So what is his point? What is Jesus really saying to us? I, th- I think it's actually the, the theme verse is actually verse 1, where he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I want to break that down because, first of all, Jesus says you've got to be careful. Be careful. What that tells me is that it's very, very easy to slip up in this area. It's very easy to do good things for the wrong reasons. It, it's it's uh, so easy to do things so that you get recognized by people and get applause of man. That, that's a slippery slope. Now, why is it a slippery slope? Well, first of all, because of our fallen nature. You know, we have become approval junkies in our world today. We, we crave the attaboy, the attagirl. We want the recognition Somewhere deep within, we, we bought the lie of the enemy that we have no value. No value unless we do something important, noteworthy, amazing, some, something that somebody notices and gives us credit for. Man, how often do we fall into that immature nature of a three-year-old that says, look at me, look at me, look, look what I can do. You know, that's cute for a three-year-old. It's a little overbearing coming from a 53-year-old. But we do. We, we crave attention. because I, I, And I believe that we crave that attention because we neglect to see the intrinsic value that comes from a connection with God through Jesus. We don't see that we actually have worth. We doubt that we have worth, so we push and push and, and try to compensate for that nagging little lying voice inside telling us that our value, our worth is dependent upon what others think about us. That's a that's an easy trap to fall into so jesus says be careful and be careful about what well he talks about our righteous acts be careful about doing your righteous acts well now god cares about how we live folks jesus boiled it all down to two overarching commands love god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love others as you would love yourself so righteousness your righteous acts that's a part of living in god's upside down kingdom Just because you and I have been given grace and forgiveness and mercy for the times that we sin and fall short does not give us a free pass to not care about actually the way that we live and living in God's holiness. But even in living that holy life, I believe that the enemy can lay a trap for the believer. That trap is what Jesus warns us to be careful of, that we would do our righteous acts to be seen by others. There it is. Now, if you recall... Earlier on, as we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually said, let your light shine. He says, you're you're the light of the world, so let your light shine so that when people see your righteous deeds, they would praise your Father who is in heaven. So some people think that Jesus is contradicting himself here because before he says, yeah, go ahead and let people see what you're doing. And now he says, don't let anybody see what you're doing. I mean, let it be in secret. Left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Folks, it's really not a contradiction. They're both talking about who's going to get the glory for what you do. See, when we let our lights shine through our deeds, it's God who should be praised. That's what he said earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he actually God kept Paul in weakness. When Paul asked for this thorn to be taken from him, Paul did some extraordinary things, but he was just an ordinary man. He had weaknesses, and God... God Used his weaknesses. God was powerful through his weaknesses so that people would look past his weakness to seek out the power that was behind those extraordinary things that this ordinary man had done. But too often we hog the spotlight, bringing the focus in on us, and that's when we miss the mark completely. I, I love the illustration of the spotlight, by the way, because spotlights in our culture today that talks about being up on stage, being in the theater. Acting. You know what? The same was true for Jesus' day as well. Jesus talks about hypocrites. If you look at the following verses Matthew 6 2. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Jump down to Matthew 6 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Jump down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. The common thread in all of that, Jesus is talking about hypocrites. Now, you know what a hypocrite is, right? Somebody who tells you not to smoke, for example, and then they light up. Somebody who tells you not to yell at people as they are yelling at you. You know, a lot of people, they they really do try to avoid being a hypocrite. They, they know how bad hypocrisy is. Um, and you don't have to even be a believer to, to shun hypocrisy or, or know how bad it is uh, in that kind of sense. Uh, there was a book that I one time picked up at a Walden bookstore back in the 90s when I was in youth ministry. And uh, it was not a Christian book at all, but I, I bought it for the title because the title was How to Get Your, or getting your Kids to Say No in the 90s when you said yes in the 60s. You see, there's a whole generation of people who felt a little guilty about telling their kids not to do things that they had done. They didn't want to look like a hypocrite. And that's sort of what a hypocrite is in the way that Jesus uses the term. But the term actually originated in the theater, on the stage, with actors. Because as an actor, when I do my theater work down in Bend, I undertake a role I use somebody else's words, I use somebody else's directions, and I pretend that those are my words, that those are my actions. And so in ancient times, the actor, in in the Greek theater, the actor would actually even put on a mask to portray somebody that they were not. Now, that is exactly what this word hypocrite means. It's somebody who pretends, somebody who portrays a persona that they are not. And so in this context, Jesus is saying that there are some people out there who are pretending to be good. That's what their masks look like, at least. But that's just a role that they're playing, who they really are. If you took off the mask, if you saw what's inside, you'd see somebody totally different. And these people were only doing good for the applause of their peers, for the standing ovation. Now, I got to shoot straight with you. It is amazing. It is amazing. I will tell you, it is amazing when you get that first standing ovation on stage. Something happens to your psyche. It happened to me my senior year of high school when we were doing Fiddler on the Roof, and I was portraying Tevye. This was the first time in a long, long time at our high school that we actually did two weekends in a row. And it's the first time that I had ever seen a show there where as soon as I walked out with a curtain call, the bows at the end, there was a standing ovation. Man, that goes to your head. It does go to your head. And if you're not careful, you will begin to craft all of your performances based on getting that kind of reaction, response from mankind. Man, you're so good. Man, you you pray so well. Man, the the, the way that you are reaching out to people and loving on them, that's such a great thing to do. And pretty soon, if you're not careful, you will fall into that trap of, the approval of man rather than the applause of heaven. <clears throat> and it's a double-edged sword if you ever think about it because it's great to get that applause, that approval from mankind until you realize that you've turned into their puppet, that they're pulling your strings, that you're only doing things in order to get approved or disapproved or, or you're avoiding getting disapproved by these people. Jesse Rice is a poet and an author, and she expressed it best and quite chillingly in a letter that she wrote uh, to her alter ego, uh, a a person that she calls fear of what others think. This is what she writes. She says, Dear fear of what others think, I'm sick of you. It's time we broke up. I know we've broken up and gotten back together many times, but seriously, this is it. We're breaking up. I'm tired of overthinking my status updates on Facebook, trying to sound more clever funny and important. I'm sick of feeling anxious about what I say or do in public, especially around people I don't know that well, all in the hopes that they'll like me, accept me, praise me. I I run around all day feeling like a golden retriever with a full bladder. Like me, like me, like me. Because of you, fear of what others think. Because of you, I go through my day with a cloud of shame hanging over my head, and I never stop acting. The spotlight is always on. I'm I'm on center stage and I better keep dancing posturing mugging or else the spotlight is going to move and I'll dissolve into a little meaningless puddle on the ground like the witch in the wizard of oz I can never live up to the expectation of my imaginary audience the one that lives only in my head but whose collective voice is louder than any other voice in the universe y- you see what what Jesse Rice has identified here is this trap of trying to do all these things for the applause of man. It feels good until we realize that we're enslaved to that approval, living our entire lives chained to what others might think of us. And like the freedom that God wants wants us to experience when it comes to being offended, God wants us to experience the freedom of having to perform for others in order to feel good about ourselves. So how does all of this come into play with the sin that Jesus is confronting in our passage this morning. It's intriguing to note the examples that Jesus gives because these are examples of good deeds, things that really Christians should be doing, uh, charitable deeds and prayer and fasting, and spiritual disciplines. But all of these are done, he said, with the wrong motives oftentimes. So first he talks about charitable deeds. Now, what is that? That's, that's basically uh, giving to the poor, being generous, um, going out of your way, taking time to help somebody else out, going the extra mile, all of that kind of stuff. Those are charitable deeds. Now, the contrast is between those who trumpet those good deeds in the street with somebody who actually is so secretive that it's almost as if their left hand doesn't know what their right hand is doing because they, they don't do it for the applause of those people in the street. So The person who's shooting for the applause of man is much more concerned about the publicity of his charity, maybe as a way to promote their business, you know, matching funds when there's a charity drive, or, or, or a way to, to look like you actually care about such issues, but that's often a facade that just is laying the groundwork for a future promotion or maybe a position of power in the government. So Jesus says, listen, when you are doing your charitable deeds, it's best to just do them quietly in secret so that you're not getting the applause of man. Then Jesus talks about our connection with God through prayer, and that's where the, the Lord's Prayer actually comes in, in in this particular teaching. The contrast is in the way that the religious leaders would actually pray very loudly in the streets with big, impressive words in order, again, to be admired by the common folk who apparently they couldn't pray as well as those religious folks. As opposed to the person who actually sees prayer for what it really is. Folks, what is prayer? It's a, it's a personal connection between you and, and God. I, I want to do something real quick. A little contest. Uh, I, I want you guys to go back and look in these 18 verses. How many times does the word Father appear in Matthew 6, 1 through 18? Go ahead and, and, and take a look. How many times does that word Father appear in 18 verses? Here, here, here's a, a great Bible study tool, by the way. When you see something that is repeated often, that means it's going to be kind of important. Do you have the number, by the way? How many times does the word Father uh, appear in Matthew 6, 1 through 18? The answer is there's ten times, ten times. Now, if something is repeated as many as ten times in a particular passage, pay attention, pay attention. There's something important about that term, I promise you. So what is important about that term, Father? Well, I believe it's because of this, because all of these examples, the, the, uh, the charitable deeds and the fasting and the, and the, you know, the spiritual disciplines and the prayer, All of those examples are based on a relationship that we're supposed to have with God. It's supposed to be about us in in our connection with God. Prayer is one of those things that is so misunderstood. You know, a a few years ago, we went through a series on the Prayer Force Academy, showed us that the purpose of prayer is not, it's not what you think it is. It's not trying to align God with your agenda The the real purpose of prayer is not to to try to make God do what you want Him to do. It's to align you with His agenda. See, it's not about me merely bringing my wantless to the great Santa Claus in the sky. Not even remotely. Yeah, we're encouraged to, to, to ask for daily bread there in the Lord's Supper. But even in doing so, we're rightfully acknowledging who is it that provides for us our daily bread. My dad tells a story about a guy down in Escondido, California, where he was back in the uh, late 60s and early 70s, who was not a believer. His wife was. He would get so mad when his wife would thank God for the food before they would eat because this guy was thinking, well, that, that wasn't God. That was me. I'm, I'm working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and I'm bringing the, the money home, and, and, and that food is because of me, not God. You know, a lot of times people have a a, a problem acknowledging that their daily bread actually comes from God. Now, Bill, this guy, actually did eventually surrender to the Lord and gave his life to Jesus and began to to realize that, yeah, you can ask God for things because you, you are acknowledging that he is the source of all your provision. But you take that part out and you realize that the way that Jesus taught us to pray, you'll see it's mostly about bringing praise to him. Actually, even if it is asking for daily bread, it's still a way of praising the Father. It's a way of aligning ourselves to his kingdom. It's making sure that we are right with him in a good relationship with our Father. Praying should not be a competition as to how many Lord Jesuses we can say or how many multi-syllable words we can throw out there. Prayer is a highly personal thing, according to Jesus. You you go to your room, you you shut the door. It's not about anybody being inspired or in awe and admiring your wonderful um, uh, vocabulary as you are talking to God. It's a personal conversation between you and your Father. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't pray out loud. A lot of times people see this and say, well, I'm not supposed to pray out loud. Well, but it it does change the mindset, uh, because even when you're praying out loud, you might actually be then inspiring others to pray out loud, and maybe they can agree with what you're saying, but who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? We've got to be very careful about this. Uh, when I was in youth ministry in Clovis, California, I took the kids down to a, a mission trip, an inner-city mission trip to Eastside, San Diego. A friend of mine was running a, a great program down there and uh, kind of immersing these kids into the life of some homeless people and some, uh, you know, an a, a inner city church. And uh, we, we did a lot of cool things. One, one of the kids named Eddie had always been kind of a pop off. He had a great sense of humor, very dry sense of humor. He could have probably had his own comedy special online or on HBO or Showtime. Eddie was just funny, but Eddie never really got serious about things at all until he came down with us to San Diego and something clicked, something changed as he saw uh, people being served in, in such a profound way. I remember it was, it was during the week, maybe two or three days into the, the missions trip that we had a prayer time at night before we all went back to our rooms to go to bed and as we were praying, Eddie decided that he was going to pray as well. Now, Eddie had never prayed out loud before. Uh, Eddie would probably talk during prayer time, but not uh, to God at all. But as Eddie prayed, it was very powerful uh, what he was talking to God, and it was just a conversation that he was having. He wasn't trying to impress anybody with what he was saying, so much so that at the very end of his prayer, he didn't know that the magic words are in Jesus' name, amen, right? Right? Those are the magic words that all Christians know, right, when we pray. I, I, I tease. a I, I kid, of course. But Eddie, when he was finished, he said, and uh, yeah, that's it. And some of the kids kind of laughed and snickered, and I, I, I squashed that immediately. I said, guys, listen, what Eddie just did was exactly what prayer is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be impressive to you. It's just talking to God like he's got a relationship with him, and now Eddie has established a relationship with God, and now he's just talking to him. And that's an amazing thing because prayer is a private thing between us and our Father. And like I said, other people can listen in on us and and agree with us in prayer, and that's fine, but you shouldn't be doing it to impress people at all. Lastly, Jesus talks about fasting, one of those spiritual disciplines that we talked about a few summers ago. Um... Yeah, a guy named Foster had written this amazing book about all of these 12 different spiritual disciplines. Fasting was one of them. Uh, spiritual disciplines are used by believers to deepen their faith uh, in, in God, getting closer to God, um, kind of tuning more into what's going on in the spiritual world. And fasting is exactly that. Fasting is when you choose to go without something, usually food, for a set period of time. And the purpose is just to remind you that man doesn't live just on physical sustenance alone. We have more than just our physical needs and cravings. We also have our spiritual lives that need to be in tune with God as well. And so by depriving your body for a time of physical sustenance, it allows you to focus more on spiritual sustenance that we need. And so fasting has always been used by people who are trying to find depth in their spiritual lives, maybe some answers to prayers that they, were, that they have been praying for and, and really focusing in on the Father and what he wants to do in their life. So Jesus is contrasting, again, those who are making a big deal about going through these disciplines by groaning and moaning and go, and people saying, well, what, what's going on? What, what, are you okay? Well, I'm fasting right now. Well, why do you have to tell them that? Well, I, I want to look good. I, I want to seem super spiritual because, you know, people know that that means I'm trying to get closer uh, in, in my spirit to, to God. But Jesus said, listen, don't moan and groan. Don't, don't even let it be known that you're doing this. Uh, you, you know, get ready like you always would get ready and, and, and do life the way you would always do life. Because it's not about the show that you're putting on. It's about what is real between you and God. You see, in every one of those instances, charitable giving or charitable acts and, and, and prayer and fasting, any kind of spiritual discipline, Jesus is contrasting the applause of men from the applause of heaven. And then he speaks of about a reward. He says, listen, if you're doing it for the, the applause of men, you've already gotten your reward. Great. You won't receive a reward from the Father. But when your heart is in tune with the Father, when this is a personal thing, when it's between you and God, that's when a reward comes when you are pursuing holiness. So what is that reward? Is it a a physical thing? Is it like those who preach health and wealth? Is it just a great life with lots of stuff and no no hardships, no sickness at all? No, I, I don't believe that. Not in my spirit, not in my experience, not in what I read from the the Bible. I I think it's much more based on what Gabe Bales shared with us last week in his sermon on loving our enemies. I I don't know if you caught this when he was uh, teaching us last week, but to me it was one of the most important things that Gabe said. He he brought up Matthew 5, 44 through 45. He says, love your enemies. This is what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you might be children of your Father in heaven. Folks, what what a reward that is to know that you are actually reflecting the DNA of God. You see, the fellowship and the love and the relationship that we develop with our Creator, with our loving Heavenly Father, when we do these things, uh, charitable acts and prayer and, and fasting and all of these other spiritual disciplines, when we do that and we develop a better relationship with God, looking more like Jesus, that's a better reward than anything else that you could ever seek in your life. Why? Because if you're just seeking man's applause, an earthly reward, that's going to last about as long as somebody's admiration or affection can last. What do I mean? Well, people are fickle. I, I might get a standing ovation today but then receive very few people clapping their hands and maybe even some boos the next time. In every instance, folks, the reward of man will lose its luster. It will grow old quick. And if I don't keep performing, people are going to turn on me. I'm I'm only going to be Mr. Popular as long as I can keep my image up, as long as I can entertain folks. As soon as my ability produces... Uh, uh, sorry, as soon as my ability to produce begins to weaken, as soon as that happens, my adoration weakens as well. One of the more exciting things that I've discovered this time around in studying the Sermon on the Mount is that a concept that's typically reserved for monetary treasure, uh, verses 19 through 21 where Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, I've always seen that as in, in the context of a monetary treasure. But I began to wonder this time around, is that really only about a financial treasure couldn't we easily apply that to this idea of trying to find treasure in the applause of man when we aim far too low for the source of our approval now it's it's not like getting recognized by your peers is is necessarily an evil thing in fact oftentimes we can inspire other people to follow our examples it's good, for example, for kids to see mom and dad taking time to, to pray, taking time to do random acts of kindness for other people for uh, no other reason but then just to do something good rather than to get uh, a, a, a plaque on the wall uh, there was a a great story. I, I got to look it up before Sunday uh, to get all the details. But apparently, this guy was uh, on a European tour, something like that. And there was this big building, and they said that this was the Man Building, the M A N N building. And he he was wondering if that was uh, based on Thomas Mann, the the author. And they said no, this was based on Alexander Mann. And uh, the man said, I I don't know Alexander Mann. What did he write? And they said, Well, he wrote a check. <laughs> He wrote a check. You know, sometimes we do things so that we might get uh, our name on a, on a plaque. But when kids see their parents doing things not to get their name on a plaque, man, that's good for them to see that God's glory can be furthered by these acts of kindness, and, 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 the, and the prayer and, the, and, and the, the fasting and things like that, when they see their, their parents uh, giving, uh, when they see them getting involved in ministry, that speaks so highly. And so it's not bad to be seen by doing this, but it's the purpose of what you're doing them for that, that, that's the, the, the main thing. If the applause of man is what you're after, Jesus says, Well, congratulations, you got it, but you aimed far too low. If you wanted your out of boy from man, well, you just got you just got what you wanted. You have your reward. But what about your eternity? What about your relationship with God? What, why didn't you aim higher to seek approval? Your reward would have been so much more fulfilling and lasting. Why practice your righteous acts for an acknowledgment that's prone to moth and rust and ruin? Why not be a servant? Why not be a true child of your Heavenly Father, looking like Him, reflecting His DNA, putting the needs of other people first for His glory, for the care of the hurting, knowing that this is the kind of reward that God loves to bestow on us because this is the kind of reward that is eternal, the reward of knowing that you're more like Jesus now, the reward that, that, that makes you know that you have truly adopted the behavior that reflects your Heavenly Father. That's the applause of heaven. That's what Jesus meant when he said that some of us, upon entering eternity, are going to hear the words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, I shared with you the the first part of that letter of fear of what others think. That was just the first part. I love how the author, Jesse Rice, finishes it all up. After she's gone through all of the, the pain and the, 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 uh, the bondage of trying to win the applause of man, this is what she says. Again, she, she had said, I can never live up to the expectation of my imaginary audience, the one that lives only in my head, but whose collective voice is louder than any other voice in the universe. This is what she says. And all of this is especially evil. Because if I really stop and think about it, and let things go quiet and listen patiently for the voice of God who made me and the Savior who died for me, in His eyes, it turns out I'm actually profoundly precious, lovable, worthy, valuable, and even just a little ghetto fabulous. When I find my true identity in Christ, then you, oh, fear of what others think, you turn back into that tiny, yappy little dog that you are. So eat it fear of what others think you and i are done and no i'm not interested in talking it through i'm running i'm jumping i'm laughing you out of my life once and for all or at least that's what i really really want god help me this is what many of you have to consider doing today stop trying to win the approval of man especially when you're going about living in the holiness of god's upside down kingdom can you be wise enough to pause and realize that it's really for your relationship with God that you were called to holiness? It's really for your relationship with God that you are called to righteousness. It's for that recreated image of Jesus in you that you live in the love of God for other people. It's because you are a child of your heavenly Father that you care about how you behave towards others and towards God. Because righteousness for the applause of man isn't righteousness at all, folks. It's hypocrisy. As believers, we must shoot instead for the applause of heaven. Well, folks, I again, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, uh, listening to this podcast. I want to thank again my executive producer, Lisa Welly, getting this thing up online. I uh, do want to acknowledge the work that Bill Kuiper does on our website and uh, all of the uh, Uh, the technological wonders that Steve Pittman has allowed us to have with streaming. We do stream our services on Sunday mornings, uh, 8.30 and 10.30. Um, We're uh, talking about how to get that up and and around for the 11.30 service as well. But anyways, this is Pastor Trey. I'm glad to have you with us today. Hopefully... uh, This has encouraged you to check the motives about why you are doing what you're doing and that uh, we throw away the applause of man so that we might embrace the, the applause of heaven. All right, you guys have a great week. Shine for Jesus.